The scripture reading this evening will be from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you're reading from one of the Red Pew Bibles, that will be on page number 1023. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are, you are from God and have come from them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There we are. I was talking about my kids. Um, <laughs> my daughter Abby's not feeling well today. She stayed home this morning. She stayed home this evening and she live streams the service. Hi, Abby. Um, so I, I quiz my kids about what they learned in Bible class in the morning and what they learn in the lesson and things like that. And so I got home and I asked my daughter, okay, so what was the lesson about? And she said, you preached about polygamy. When I, was, when I was in preaching school, they told us that people will remember your illustrations and your mistakes. That's, that's what people remember about sermons. So anyway, we're going to talk more about the nature of God this evening. This morning, we dealt with the fact that God is triune in nature. The fact that the Bible teaches that he is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. But we also learned and looked at Scripture where it indicates that even though there's one God, that He exists as three persons. He exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there are numerous passages, Matthew 28, verse 19, for example. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, for example. Numerous passages where you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being mentioned. And even more passages where you see one of those persons being mentioned by himself, if you will. And then the third proposition that we dealt with this morning is this, that each person, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, can also be said to be fully God. Fully God. Someone has said about the triune nature of God, if you try to understand it, you'll lose your mind. But if you try to deny it, you'll lose your soul. These are critical Bible doctrines. When we think about who God is, there's not room for us to have a difference of opinion about these matters. There's not room for us to say, well, some people indicate that there's one God, but there might be more than one. 
When we look at Scripture, we must accept what the Scriptures teach about the nature of God. And even though it's difficult, impossible to understand, to wrap our minds around who God is, we still must let Scripture inform us because the Scriptures speak about Him. They are His revelation to us. Brandon just read a passage in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 about some people who were denying that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. They didn't believe that Jesus, if he really is God, they didn't believe there was any way that he took on flesh. And the Bible says you need to very carefully evaluate what you're hearing about Jesus. Very carefully assess whether what you're hearing is the truth because there's a spirit of truth and there's a spirit of error. And not everything that's said about God is right. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Job 42 and look at verse 7. Job, you remember, was afflicted. And Job, in Job chapter 42, came to the conclusion of his suffering. And God was speaking to Job and to his friends. They had said a lot of things about God, Job and his friends. And not everything they said was true. And God says in Job 42 verse 7, he said, I'm angry with Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. I'm angry with them. My anger is aroused against them. Job 42 verse 7. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. It is a serious thing, Job 42 7 indicates, to not speak what is right about the God that we serve. How we need to let Scripture inform everything that we say about God. Tonight I want to address three ways that people try to deal with what's on the, on the screen behind me. Three ways that people try to deal with those ideas. There's one God, he exists as three persons, and each person is fully God. And in dealing with these, what people end up doing is teaching or believing something that is erroneous about the God that we serve. And so as you look at those three statements, basically what you could do is you could deny statement number one, deny statement number two, deny statement number three, and you would end up with something that is different from what the Bible teaches. And that is precisely what a number of our religious neighbors and friends do. And so we need to be aware of what the Bible teaches about God, and we also need to be aware of some errors that are found as we listen to what others are saying about him. In the first place this evening, what if a person wanted to deny that there is one God? That would really solve a lot of things. Because if there are three gods, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and each one is fully God, I can understand that. That makes sense to me. But what if I deny that number one proposition that there's one God? That is what is called tritheism. Tritheism. And the idea is this, that there are three separate gods. The Father is one being, the Son is another being, the Holy Spirit is another being, and while they all have one will and they all see things the same way, there are three individuals. There are some people, religious people, who believe this. This is what they teach about the nature of God. As you think about that, though, and the implications of it, you've got to stop and consider what we're basically doing is becoming polytheistic. 
we are worshiping not one God, but three. Historically speaking, there have been very, very few advocates of this position. But I'll tell you this, we can get into some trouble if we're not careful especially in our personal evangelism or in trying to talk to others about helping them to understand God better, we can get into some trouble by giving some illustrations about what God's like, what we believe God might be like. There's really no good analogy to describe the triune nature of God. If there were a good analogy, God would have given it, wouldn't he? If we could say that God's like an egg with the yolk and the shell and the white and, and three parts and, and it's all one egg. If, if, if that's the way you could describe God, wouldn't the Bible have indicated that? But there's really no way to adequately describe what God is like. And when we try to do that, we might end up saying some things that are tritheistic. We might end up saying that God is the Father over here and the Son who's very different from the Father, different being altogether the Holy Spirit, who's a different being than the Son and the Father. And brothers, brothers and sisters, that's not biblical. That's not right. We must let Scripture inform. Here's a question worth contemplating. If tritheism is true, if there really are three separate beings, all fully God, which one should have my greatest loyalty? That's worth thinking about, isn't it? If there really are three beings, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which one do I worship? Which one has my loyalty? Which one do I serve? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Which one? If they're all fully God, if they're all three separate beings. In Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is that the Father or is that the Son or is that the Holy Spirit? Which one am I supposed to love with all my heart? Because if I'm loving him with all my heart, that doesn't leave room for anybody else. Tritheism is an error, not as common as the other ones we'll talk about tonight. But be aware of it because there are people who believe and teach that God exists as three separate beings. Next, what if someone, instead of denying that there's one God, denied the second proposition? What if someone denied that God exists as three persons? Not three beings, but three persons. What if somebody said, he's not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Then what do we find? This doctrine is called modalism. Modalism, M-O-D-A-L-I-S-M. It's on your handout. Sometimes people have known it in history as Sabellianism. There was a man named Sibelius that developed this idea and, and, and taught it years and years ago. And the idea is basically this. There's one individual being known as God, and he puts on different hats, if I can say it that way. Sometimes he presents himself to people as the Father. And sometimes he takes off his father hat, if I could say it that way, and he puts on his son hat, and he presents himself to people as Jesus, as the Christ. And then sometimes he takes off that hat, and he, he puts on the Holy Spirit hat, and he comes and he presents himself to people as the Holy Spirit. And so it's one being, not three persons, and he's just appearing in different forms at different times. And people who would defend this doctrine, and there are a lot of them, by the way, 
People who would defend this doctrine would point out what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. And they'd say, you see, Jesus admitted he's the same as the Father. And they'll point to other passages like John 14, verse, five, verse 9, where Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Case closed, they'll say. There's one being, he's known as God the Father, but he also presents himself sometimes as God the Son or sometimes as God the Holy Spirit, but he's just one. He's not three in one. What do we say in response to this? What does the Bible say in response to this? Number one, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit relate to one another. Open your Bibles to John 17 and look at verse 24. John 17, verse 24, one of many passages that we could describe in Scripture. John 17, verse 24, Jesus is about to go to the cross and he prays that great high priestly prayer in John 17. And look at what he says in verse 24. Father, he says, if modalism is true, brothers and sisters, Who's he talking to in John 17, verse 24? Father, he says, I desire that they also whom you gave me, who's he talking to? He's talking about a relationship. The father gave these disciples to the son. I desire that they may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me for you. We discussed this this morning, loved me before the foundation of the world. When you see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, oftentimes they are said to relate to one another. Back up in your scriptures, just one chapter, John chapter 16. Look at what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit and his coming. In John 16, beginning in verse 12, John 16, verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now, Jesus says. In John 16, verse 12, did you know that Jesus did not spell out in great detail what an elder is supposed to be before his ascension? That came later. Well, Jesus, why didn't you tell people about what an elder is? I mean, elders are really critical. They're important to the function of the New Testament church. And I don't see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that he's describing what an elder is supposed to be. Well, why didn't he do that? Because there were some things that they just couldn't bear yet. They just didn't understand yet. And so Jesus says, I've still got a lot of things to say to you, apostles, things like what an elder is supposed to be or how to watch for false doctrine. I've got a lot of things I'd still like to say to you. He says then in verse 13, however, when he, and he's not talking about himself, he's talking about someone different than him. When he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. And then watch this in John 16, 12, for, or 16, 13. He will not speak on his own authority, Whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Jesus is describing a process whereby the Father commits certain truths to the Son, and the Son commits those truths to the Spirit, and then the Spirit is going to commit those truths to the apostles, who then are going to give those truths to the world. We're not talking about one being who's putting on different hats at different times. We're talking about a being 
who is comprised of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they relate to one another. You've got to explain passages like Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. When Jesus is baptized, and the heavens are opened, and the Spirit descends as a dove, and the voice from heaven of the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit as we, as we described just a moment ago. And interestingly enough, in Isaiah 53 verse 11, when the Bible talks about the cross, one of the things it says is that the Father will see the suffering of his Son and his wrath will be satisfied. The three persons of the triune nature of God, the three persons relate to one another. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We cannot deny that and be true to what Scripture teaches about his nature. Next. Oh, excuse me. I had this part to add to it. Where do you see this today? I said there are a lot of them. Oneness Pentecostalism. If you've ever had a friend or a neighbor or a loved one who was part of the Oneness Pentecostal group, United Pentecostal Churches is what they call themselves. They believe in modalism. They believe that there is one being known as God. He is not three persons. He is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He just appears at various times in Scripture, various times in history as the Father or as the Son or as the Holy Spirit. And they actually, the United Pentecostal Church, split out of the Assemblies of God in 1916 over this very issue. And sometimes when you're talking with people about baptism and about what it means to become a Christian and things like that, you'll find people who will emphasize baptism in the name of Jesus only. And they'll use a number of scriptures and they'll say, we should baptize in the name of Jesus only. And what they're doing is they're trying to get modalism into our thinking and the way that we approach matters like baptism. And so there are people in the world around us who sometimes believe this principle, this doctrine about God and about who he is. Just be aware and be watchful and test all things by what God's word has to say. Number three tonight, what if you denied that third proposition? There's one God, each person, there are three persons within God, each one, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there are three of them. But each person is fully God. What if you denied that? What if you said that, for example, the Father wasn't fully God? Or, more commonly, the Son is not fully God. He's not fully divine. He's not the same as the Father. He's not the same as the Spirit. What if you said that? There are quite a few religious groups that do. So the three persons, uh, each person of the, of the Godhead, not all of them are fully God. As you think about this particular false idea, the most common way in which it is expressed, there are other ways, is the idea that God created Jesus Christ. That's not true. Biblically, that is not true. Jesus Christ is the fullness of deity as we talked about this morning in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, he is divine in all of his attributes. There was a man centuries ago named Arius, A-R-I-U-S. 
And he developed this idea that Jesus Christ is not divine. And it came to be known early on as Arianism. And what Arius said in his writings was this. He said, there was when Christ was not. What he's saying is, if you could get in a time machine and go backwards in history, you could eventually arrive at a point in the past when there was no Christ, he did not exist. That's what Arius believed, that's what he taught. And so as a consequence, he taught that Jesus must have been created. He must have come into existence by the will of and the word of the Father. And he would use passages like Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, and talk about wisdom. And when God was creating the worlds and when God was fashioning things, wisdom was there with him. And the idea being that Jesus was part of that creation, part of that wisdom. Those who believe in this idea would point to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, where the book of Revelation says, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Well, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it can't mean. It can't mean that Jesus is created because there are too many passages in scripture that teach that he's not. Well, what does it mean he's the beginning of the creation of God? It means that he is the priority. He is the preeminent one over all creation. It's an idiom. It's an expression that deals with the primacy of Jesus in everything over all creation. What do you say to this, the idea that God created Jesus Christ? Open your Bibles to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. As John begins his gospel, by the way, the gospel of John, the main point of the gospel is that Jesus is divine. He's God. He has all the attributes of God. He has the nature of God. Everything that makes God who he is, Jesus possesses that. And the way that the gospel begins in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 2, all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. John 1 verse 3 indicates to us Jesus was not created because it tells us everything that was created was created by him and through him. You see the logic there? If Jesus is created, then John 1 verse 3 doesn't make sense. It's not true. It's telling us a, a lie about who Jesus is. He is not a created being, he is God. In Colossians 1 verse 16, a very similar statement. Paul writes this, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. All things were created through him and for him. Again, if all things were created through Jesus and for him, does that mean that he too was created? No, he is the creator. He is the one who brought all this into existence. He is divine. Every once in a while, people will knock on our door. Maybe they knock on your door too. There are a couple of groups that knock on doors quite a bit. Maybe we ought to think about being a little bit more like that as God's people. But I'll tell you this, the people who knock on our doors, 
those who belong to the group called Jehovah's Witness and those who belong to the group called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, both of those religious groups teach that Jesus is a created being. They do not believe that he is God in the sense that the Father is God. They don't believe that. We need to watch out, pay attention to what Scripture teaches. And by the way, one of the fastest ways to find error is to ask people what they believe about Jesus and then compare it to Scripture. What do you believe about who Jesus is? What do you believe about what Jesus' purpose in this world was all about? What do you believe about his nature and his work? Who do you think Jesus is? That's a question we ought to be asking our friends and our neighbors. What do you think about the Son of God? What do you think about his work and his nature? God is not created. Jesus Christ is not created. All three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are fully God. Colossians 2 verse 9, we've, uh, we've talked about a number of times today. In him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything that makes God, God, Jesus possesses. If you deny any one of those three ideas, the idea that God is one, the idea that he exists as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the idea that each person is not fully God. If you deny any one of those, you're contradicting what the scripture teaches. And not only that, it will lead to serious consequences when we start talking about matters like how someone is saved, what the cross was all about, what it meant when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What it meant when Jesus said, I'm going to my father, I'm going to prepare a place for you, John 14 verses one through three. No one has access to the father but by me, John 14 verse six. This doctrine has critical foundational implications in what it means to be a Christian. Let's let God's word inform our minds and our hearts and our faith when it comes to who God is and what he's like. Go ahead and get your songbooks if you haven't already done that. Turn to the song that Michael announced just a moment ago. More than anything else, God wants you to be his, to know him. More than anything else, he wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants that so badly that he gave the greatest gift that has ever been given. The only gift that he did not create, by the way. He gave us Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to this world and died so that we might have redemption, forgiveness, reconciliation, cleansing from our sin. Maybe you need that, the cleansing and the redemption, the reconciliation to God. Come to him, don't delay any longer. If you know you need to be baptized, or you know now's the time, don't hesitate. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?